I'd like you to turn with me to the passage that was read in your hearing in Ephesians chapter 5. And before we actually, before I read out the text, I just want for a few moments, I want to each of you to think over the year that has passed by. And as you do, if you're a believer, I'm sure you will acknowledge there's so much to be thankful to God for. He has faithfully supplied all your needs. He has watched over you. He's guided you. He's protected you in every circumstance. He's given all of us so many good gifts. And among all these good gifts, I want this morning especially to focus upon one of the most precious of them. And ironically, it's one that so many of us take for granted and seldom ever think about. And yet, it's one of the most valuable treasures anybody has. And we find this in our text, which is verse chapter 5 of Ephesians and verse 15 to 17. I'm going to read these words. But I'd like you not just to hear these words with ear gate, but if you've got your Bibles or a device in front of you, I'd like you to read them with me. Because they're not my words. They're God's words. And if you like, this is God's will for us as a church and as individuals in this church for this coming year. Look carefully then at how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And we are going to look even more closely at these words in verse 16. Making the best use of your time because the days are evil. That, if you like, is our text. That's what we're thinking about. We need to think about this gift of time. And in particular, we need to think about the attitude God wants us to adopt Regarding this treasure. Verse 16 of our text, as I've already said, and I'm just paraphrasing it slightly now. Make the best use of your time because the days are evil. 
Now, this is one of God's gracious commands to every believer here this morning. And all those believers who are listening in. But it's more than that. As each of us stands at the entrance of 2022, God says to each one of us, make the best use of your time because the days are evil. And that means whether you claim to believe in God or whether you may claim to be an atheist, it makes no difference God says to each one of us, make the best use of your time because the days are evil. But it's even more than that. This is not only a command to each of us here this morning. It is a command that God wants each of us to obey. And God makes this clear from the verses that surround our text. Firstly, in the previous verse, that's verse 15, we read, Look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, when these words are read, or you hear these words, there are two truths that stand out very clearly. The first is, these words are so personal. It's not saying the person sitting next to you. It's saying you. You. Me. Each one of us. This is something addressed to everyone who hears or reads these words. And that's the reason why I added in my own uh, paraphrase the word your, your best use of time. Because God is still addressing exactly the same people he addressed when he commands, look carefully then, how you walk. In other words, a major part of this command of what it means is explained by these words. Make best use of your time. Verse 16. In other words, use it carefully. Don't use it unwisely. Use it wisely. And the second truth is, it helps us to understand what God actually means when he tells us, make the best use of your time. Because if you can understand the words, look carefully then how you walk, it will help you to make the best use of your time. So what 
does God mean when he says, look carefully then how you walk? Well, God isn't using the word literally in a literal sense. He is using the word walk metaphorically. He isn't saying, when you go for a walk, be careful how you walk. No, what he's saying is, he's using it as a metaphor for the kind of life a person, you in particular, is living. Now, I can see sometimes a part of your life, but I have no idea what the vast majority of your life is all about. But that's something you know about, and God knows perfect. And so that's what he is saying. Look carefully. And if we want to put it another way, it's like God saying, your life is like a walk, like a literal walk. Now, in a literal walk, you start somewhere and you go somewhere. And I want to explore a little bit that thought of your life being like a walk. I want to do it by just looking at three occasions where Paul uses this word in a metaphorical way in this letter that we're looking at, the letter to the Ephesians. And the first time is in chapter 2 and verse 1 and 2, where we read these words. Again, if you've got your Bibles, look at them, hear it, with ear gate and see it with eye gate. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And without going any further, Paul is simply referring to the kind of life the Ephesians once used to live when they were unbelievers. There was a time when they were no different to the unbelievers in general. But as Paul goes on in the rest of the chapter, he goes on to show how God made them alive in Christ. And they began a new life. And this life is explored later on in Chapter 4 and verse 17, where we have the second time this word is used. Maybe not the second time, but the second time I'm using it. Paul applies this truth in this way. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. You used to walk like them. But that time's over. You've got to stop being like them. You've got to stop walking in the same way. You're a different person. You have been made alive. You are now privileged to sit with Christ in heavenly places. So you mustn't live the same kind of life as those who don't have that privilege. And then again, in the passage that we read in chapter 5, verse 8. And again, Paul uses a very, very strong statement. 
for at one time you were darkness. He doesn't say you were in darkness. He says you are darkness. You were darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Now you see, that's why I was doing that gospel grammar with the children. For your sakes as well. There's the indicative, what God does. God has made them children of light. Right over your children of light. Live as children of light. Act as children of light. You're no longer in darkness. Be what God has made you. That is the logic of the gospel. The gospel isn't a do-it-yourself kit. The gospel is working out what God is working in. Now, as a believer, you're no longer in darkness, but you're alive in Christ. We all enter the path of life at birth, and we finish the path of life at death. Now, in that sense, your life, my life, is a journey. It's a journey that's taking us through time into eternity. Time into eternity. And death is not the end of life. It's simply the end of our existence in time. All of us are made in the image of God. And that's part of that image. We're immortal. Yes, we're not like God exactly. We have a beginning. He had no beginning. But we have no ending. We're immortal. That's the way God has made us. And the tragedy for most people is they don't know this. For all I know, there may be some here. And I can't know your hearts perfectly. I can assume, I can assume you're all believers. I hope you are. But I cannot be certain. I cannot be certain. I can't read your hearts. That's God's prerogative. Not mine. But there may be some who have no idea where you're going. Now, we all know that one day we must die. That is undeniable. We maybe don't like to talk about it, and we don't talk about it. But that is something we will agree, yes, we're going to die. But some of us here this morning know where that journey will end. And some of us maybe don't. Some of us know where we're going and some of us maybe don't know where we're going. But what is certain is we all start our life on the same road. That's why we read earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus called this road, and I always remember the AV version of it, the broad way. In our church Bibles, it's called the easy way. He also tells us that many are on that road and then warns us 
about where this road is leading us. It's leading to destruction. Now that, if you like, is God's bad news. And it is bad news. But God wants everyone to hear. And we all need to hear this warning. Because if you don't, one day you'll find out too late. You've reached your destination. And it's final. Whatever that destination will be. That's true of every one of us here in this building. That's true of those who are listening in. But that's not all that God wants you to hear. God wants you to hear what I talked about to the children. The good news. The best news this world has ever heard. It's such great and wonderful news. There are just so many different ways of explaining this news. But in a nutshell, using this particular text, God is telling us there is no need to remain on that road that leads to destruction. There's another road. And that road leads to eternal life. It leads us to the presence of God. The visible presence of God. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus explained the good news in this way. And you can think of these words. Enter by the narrow gate. You can think of that as a command. Because it is a command. But it's also an invitation. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide. And the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow. And the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So these words begin with the command. Or the invitation, enter by the narrow gate. Now, if you were to ask Jesus, why? Why should I do this? He gives you this answer. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads destruction. In other words, you're on a road you don't want to be on. You're on a road that is dangerous at any moment. Your time might end. And then you're in a fixed state of destruction. Eternal destruction. Not annihilation. Destruction. Now, what Jesus is saying to us is this. There are two options. There are two roads you can take in this life. First of all, we have what we might call the default option. 
And that's a word that I never really thought much about until I got a wretched computer. And it talks about default settings. A default option is we all begin at the same thing. We all begin at the moment of birth. This way, it has a gate, but it's so wide, you can't see it. You pass through it without knowing. Now, let me ask you, can any of you remember when you were born? You remember it? Of course you don't. You don't remember passing through any gates, but you did it. The moment you were born, you passed through that gate and you entered the broad road leading to destruction. Jesus tells us there are two ways that you can be sure that you've actually passed through this gate. If you, if you don't want to just take my word for it, yes, Jesus' word. Firstly, because it is an easy way. In what way is it easy? Well, it's easy like this. You can live any way you want to live. You can choose to believe any religion you want. You can choose to think or say or do anything you want. On the one hand, if you want, you can be very religious. You can be morally upright. Or you can be very wicked. Or somewhere in between. In other words, you're living to please yourself. You're living as if God doesn't exist. That as if God's no claims over you. If you're honest, you want a life that allows you to do exactly what you want to do. Now, you can do that consistently and claim to believe in God. But you may believe in God, but you don't know him. That's the all-important difference. You don't love him. You don't live to please him. And you certainly don't want him to be interfering with your life and telling you what to do. But there's a second way you can be sure. It's a popular way. It's the crowded way. It's the way of the many. This is the way of life. So many willingly choose to live. In fact, they've got no say in the matter. They start off in that way. But many willingly choose to stay that way and live their whole lives that way. That's the default option. But the second is a deliberate option. No one walks the other road that Jesus talks about. By chance, there's always a deliberate choice involved. And it's a choice that involves forsaking that easy, popular way. It's a choice that will look for a narrow gate, that will find that narrow gate. 
and will enter it. It's a choice that we can be certain about and sure that we're safe forevermore. Because just as Jesus tells us there are two ways we can be sure that we've passed through the broad gate, he also tells us there's two ways that we can be sure that we pass through the narrow gate. It's a difficult way. It's an unpopular way. You can't please yourself and just do everything you want. It's the way that Jesus went. You're a follower of Jesus. You're going the same road, the way of the cross. And as he told his disciples in Luke 9.23, if anyone, anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's a hard way. You must say no to your way, yes to God's way. And you'll find, even as you do that, you're persecuted for righteousness' sake. You find also it's a lonely road. There are few that find it. But although it's a lonely road, you're not alone. You have the friendship and the fellowship of your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's as a general rule true. That's why we have churches. We meet together as a church to help each other along this road that leads to heaven. But even more wonderful, you have the friendship and the fellowship of God. That's what the Christian life is all about. It's doing what Enoch did so many, many, many centuries ago. Walking with God. Walking with God here on earth. Walking with God through time. Knowing that one day our time will be up. And immediately, face-to-face fellowship with Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful end to the road? It's not the end of the road at all. It's a new beginning. It's beginning to live in the presence of God, where there's fullness of joy and pleasures at his right hand forevermore. Now, before we return more closely to our text in Ephesians. Here's something I find I must do. Let me ask you, each of you, and again, I cannot judge your heart. I assume, I hope that you're all believers, trusting in Jesus Christ. But I can't be sure of that. And I'm asking this question. Which road are you on? Which road are you on? Where are you going? Do you know where you're going? When you get to the end of your life, where will you arrive? And there's only two options. All of us are going to die one day. And that's not the end. There's a day of judgment. There's a day when we have to stand before Jesus. He will be my judge. 
He'll be your judge. And one of the reasons I'm speaking on this very serious subject is because I've got to give an account. Have I told this to other people? Because this is part of my life here on earth. He'll say one of two things. He'll say to those who spend all their life walking on the easy road, depart from me. These are the most awful words that anyone will ever hear. We may have wished to have nothing to do with Jesus in this life, but when it comes to it at the judgment day, and he says, depart from me, you couldn't hear more terrible words because Jesus goes on to say, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't prepared for humans. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. But humans will go there if they follow the way of the devil and his angels. And he'll say, secondly, to those who left the easy road and who entered the hard road, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's what Jesus meant when he said, the way is hard that leads to life. And my dear friend, my question is this, which of these two roads are you on? If you were to reach the end of your road today, where will you arrive? And that was made very painfully true to me three weeks ago. Someone I don't know very well, but someone I love, was here on Sunday night. And I, I, I remember it passing through my mind at the time. I thought, uh, you know, will I speak to him? Because I'll probably see him during the week. Thankfully, I did speak to him. I was glad I did, because the next day he was gone. He had an accident on a mountain with James. And he's now in heaven. And I'm glad I can say that. If it was you, where would you be? Don't think you couldn't have an accident. Accidents happen all the time. Don't think God couldn't just say, enough's enough. It's that important. And I beg you to answer these questions seriously and honestly. And there's two reasons that compel me to ask you to do this. As I've already suggested. You may never have another opportunity. One day, it will be too late. The gospel also always comes with a time warning. Today, if you will hear his voice. Today. 
No promise of hearing the gospel again tomorrow. Or you hearing the gospel again and being able to respond to it. It's today. One day it will be too late. One day whether you believe me or not, you will reach the end of your road to find your destiny is fixed forever. So if you're on the wrong road, the sooner you find out, you leave it and get onto the right road, the better. There's no time to lose. But secondly, and again, this is something that was brought home to me again recently in a radio interview I heard. Maybe you think you're on the right road, but you're actually mistaken. And this is an even more tragic possibility. It's possible you think you are a Christian. You think you're on your way to heaven. And you're wrong. Could anything be more tragic? Well, it'll happen to some. And it could happen to you. Again, as we read earlier in the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus said these words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, on that day, many, get that word many, it doesn't say few, many will say to me, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus doesn't say, no, you didn't. He says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. My friend, I'm asking you seriously, Consider this at the beginning of this new year. Are you sure you're not one of that many? In an interview I heard very recently, the daughter of Martin Lloyd-Jones was talking about her mother, Bethany Jones. And in the early days of Martin Lloyd-Jones' ministry, he was a preacher in Wales, one of the best preachers, I think, of the last century. And he was happily married to this woman, Bethany. And one day, uh, on a bus, someone from the congregation, and God was working in that congregation. God was converting people. People's lives were being changed. And one of them came up to her and said, are you saved? And she went home and thought about it. And realized she wasn't. But she thought she was. And Martin Lloyd-Jones himself had thought she was because he married her. She got saved, <laughs> praise God. 
and that's why I'm saying this. You can, you need to be sure and you can be sure. And the first step is just to take this whole matter seriously. Take the words of Jesus seriously. There's something that could be done. You can leave the easy road. You can find the narrow gate. You can enter it and start walking along the difficult road that will take you to eternal life. But where? Where do you find this narrow gate? Jesus tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's through Jesus alone that God will accept us. And he's everything you need. You don't save yourself. It's nothing to do with you. It's all to do with God. I remember one of the choruses that sticks in my mind from childhood. I didn't believe it then, but I love it now. There's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is open, and you may go in. But Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. Jesus himself again said, and this is one of the words that's used to describe him, or it's one of his names. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. All right, I've done something terrible. I have spent over half the sermon, the studio message, focusing on what must be the best and most important use of time for at least some of us here this morning. Now you may think that's a digression. It's not. It's not a digression. Because we all need salvation. And that's the first thing I should be concerned about. Your salvation. Without salvation and the help of a Savior, no one will be able to make the best use of their time. Now Paul wrote these words to believers. He wrote them to a church. Yet these words are exactly what God wants all who hear or read this command to do. God says to every one of us, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That's where you get this topic of my sermon for today. What is God's will for every one of us here this morning? It's to make the best use of your time. Because the days are evil. And the only way anybody can obey this command is first of all by asking God to forgive them all their sins for Jesus' sake. Until you've left the broad road and entered the narrow gate, You'll never be able to obey this command. The good news is God is willing to forgive all your sins if you come to him, 
trusting the Savior he has provided. And today, the first Sunday of a new year, you can call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. That's God's promise to all who will believe it. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Now I can say to you with confidence, Jesus is present by his spirit in this building. He's near enough for you to touch him with the hand of faith that God will give you. Go to him now and ask him to save you. And he will. He'll cleanse away all your sin. He'll accept you as one of his sheep. And he'll give you his Holy Spirit and his power to follow Jesus. That's where it all begins. With what God does. And only God can do. And my dear friend, if you do this now, you'll have begun to do today for the first time. Make the best use of your time. There is no better thing you can do than getting right with God and knowing that one day you're going to live in his presence forevermore. Now, my time's nearly over. But I want to spend the rest of the time thinking about this command under two headings. First of all, why should you keep this command? And secondly, how should you keep this command? Why? There are two reasons. The first reason is in the words, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. In other words, God wants us to keep this command for our own good. The commands of God are not grievous, as some people think. The commands of God are for our good. And he wants us, he wants us not to be unwise, but to be wise. And to look carefully how we walk. He knows that left to ourselves and our own wisdom, we are fools. I'm a fool and you're a fool by nature. The fool has said in his heart, there's no God. He knows that. And so that's why the human race is in the mess it is. Instead of believing and acting upon God's word, we listen to the devil's lies or we follow our own evil desires. And what is the result? We live in a world under God's curse. And there's only one hope for the human race. We must believe and act upon God's word. We must put an end to folly. We must take God's word seriously. God is graciously pleading with us. He's pleading with you to come to your senses. To stop being fools and be wise before it's too late. God's curse on the world makes life dangerous and unpredictable. And this is one of the aspects that God focuses upon in our final verse of the text. The days are evil. If you and I are to cope with the evil days we live in, we need wisdom 
that only God can give us. Don't be foolish and try to run your own life. Learn to enjoy God's guidance, protection, and care. But there's a second reason why you should keep this command. God gives this command to give you a purpose in life. Again, this is another aspect that God focuses upon in the final verses of our text. He says, the days are evil. But one of God's purposes in saving you is to mitigate these evil days. Jesus tells every believer, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. These are your God-given functions in life. You're here on earth to act as salt that preserves an evil world from corruption. You're here as light to shine in this dark world, to expose its sin, to point to its Savior. And it's a tremendous blessing to know you have a purpose in life. And as you go into this year, rejoice that you do as one who is a friend of God. You're one who lives to please God. And to do all in your power to help spread the kingdom. So when you're tempted, as I am very often, to despair of these evil days. Remember, you are in this world to mitigate these evil days. It's a wonderful thing to have a purpose in life. To know why you're here. What aims in life should be. And the vast majority of people in this world haven't a clue. They don't know why they're living or where they're going. Their philosophy is, let us eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And they don't know that death isn't the end. They think it is. But by God's grace, we're different. We know why we're here. And we know where we're going. And we know who goes with us. And will guide us and help us through all the trials and difficulties of life. Yes, the days ahead will, be, will continue to be evil days. But by God's grace, we can hope. Now we're ready to think through our final heading. How should you keep this command? What does God mean when he commands making the best Use of the time. That's the version we've got. The authorized version has redeeming the time. Another modern version has taking advantage of the time. And each of these translations is perfectly valid. And they each bring out part of the meaning of this command. The authorized version translation, redeeming the time, brings out the idea of just how valuable time is. If you lose any time, you need somehow or other to buy it back. It's too precious to lose. Ironically, it's often impossible to do this. There's such a thing as missed opportunities. And this has been a bitter experience for many of us. 
There are times when the things you could have done yesterday cannot be done the next day. Some kindness or duty done for someone you love. But they're no longer alive. Or it might be you're dead and you can't do it. Time is valuable. How you spend your time. Oh, I plead with you. Think about it. How do you spend your time? What do you find yourself doing most? These are serious questions. And then, there is, we have in our Bibles, make the best use of the time. Now, that translation brings out the idea of value as well. Time is too valuable to waste, so make sure you use it well. But in practice, this means we need to carefully plan the best use of our time. Do you make any plans about how you're going to spend time? It's not wrong to plan. If the Lord will, you say, if the Lord will, we should make agendas. We should say, this year... There's areas in my life as a Christian that need dealing with. There's habits that need to be broken. There's new habits that need to be taken up. We've got a library here. Maybe you don't read, but you ought to start reading while you've got the chance. Very good for you. And then we have, finally, the best use of the time. Make Sorry, we have... Um, there's a time for every, I'm sorry, this translation brings out the idea of value. But in our reading from Ecclesiastes, we were told there's a time for every matter. And then follows a list of times. But you'll, you'll notice it begins like this. A time to be born and a time to die. And between these two points, there is a whole load of different things. And we're given a list of these times. God decides the time to be born and the time to die. But all the other times mentioned are to a large extent planned by you and me. God gives us this responsibility and he'll give us the wisdom to fulfill it. And lastly, again, the translation, taking advantage of the time. This translation brings out the idea of way we must use time because time is valuable. We must learn to use it very carefully. That's what the first verse of our text teaches. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. We must learn to use our time wisely. How do you do this? <laughs> when I began preparing this sermon, I thought I knew the answer. And I planned to leave you a number of helpful guidelines. And yesterday, my wife will bear me out in this. Lord, wouldn't let me. In the end, after much prayerful study, struggle, I'm compelled 
to do this. I simply want to read you God's own agenda. Not the only agenda, but one of God's agendas. And it's from the passage that we read. And this is how we're going to close. Just think of these words. And I'd like you, if you've got your Bible, or to just look it up. Ephesians chapter 5. Here's God's agenda for this year. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And here's the saying, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's what we must be doing this year. Discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. But instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when everything is exposed by the light it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says... Awake, O sleeper. Arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Now you've got a lot of homework to do. When you go away, I want you to go through that passage. I want you to go through that passage all through this year and ask yourself what changes in your life are you to make as a result of that. That is God's agenda for your life and my life. And I encourage you to take all these words seriously. Let's plead with God to write these words on our heart and to live them out in 2022. Just one further quick thought. Ask yourself, how much time do you spend 
doing things that are profitless, worthless. How many of you are guilty, sometimes even using the word, oh, I'm just killing time. Don't kill time a moment longer. It's too precious. Use your time well. I leave you with what to me for a long time has been almost a family motto. One life to live. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. May God help us to live in the light of that. And let us respond to what we have thought of this morning as we sing our closing hymn, the hymn 604, Love Divine, All Loves Excelling, Joy of Heaven to Earth Come Down. Think of that verse. Verse 3, Come Almighty to deliver, let us all thy grace receive. Suddenly return and never, never more thy temples leave. Thee we would be always blessing. Serve thee as thy hosts above. Pray and praise thee without ceasing. Glory in thy perfect love. Amen.